Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Southern Oregon Normal and got arrested. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, Justin represented Lori, and Lori hired me to represent Lee. I'm Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, don't be shy. Email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. Portland activist and attorney Leland R. Berger formed Oregon Cannabis Compliance Council in 2013, following 30 years in private practice, a co-drafter of the Oregon Medical Marijuana Act and of Oregon's legislation initiative, Ballot Measure 91. Mr. Berger helped draft dispensary initiatives and lobbied the Oregon legislature on behalf of patients and their providers. Since legalization, his legislative advocacy is on behalf of all cannabis consumers, and he works state why to end cannabigotry. Lee's practice includes cannabis-related administrative and trial litigation, as well as state cannabis-related criminal defense and appeals. He has received numerous accolades, including being named High Times Freedom Fighter of the Month, Normals Citizen Activist Award, Oregon Cannabis Industry Association's Lifetime Achievement Award, the Oregon State Bar Cannabis Law Section, Leland R. Berger Lifetime Achievement Award, an award that is named after him, and Normals Alhorn Lifetime Achievement Award, among others. But don't take my word for it because he's here with me right now. Welcome, Lee, my fellow High Times Freedom Fighter to Cannabis Radio. Thanks, Vivian. I don't get to say that very often. Um, Oh, there's a lot of us, I think. Oh, yeah. There are. I'll have to send more of them your way to be on your show. I've had a couple. <laughs> I've had a couple. Um, you know, Lee, I have many times told people that if I had everything to do over again, I would have gone to law school to become a lawyer. Uh, how did you become interested in law? And at what point in your life did you know that you're going to become an attorney? Yeah, uh, was in my last year of, I grew up back east. I grew up in the uh, uh, in the northeast part of the country. And when I was in my last year of college, I applied to five law schools and then threw all the applications in the trash. I just moved to Washington, D.C., and I worked for the Maryland Action Coalition, uh, gathering signatures and raising funds for uh, to challenge uh, utility rate increases in Maryland. And um, I was living in, in Washington, D.C. at the time. And uh, I quit after, uh, after the summer because it's not much fun collected signatures weather gets cooler but uh, I was waiting tables and I started thinking about how these folks that the people we were raising money for were were lawyers and how it was mostly in English and I could read English and I had uh, my grandmother at the time had uh, offered to be a patron for me and on it and I, I took her up on the offer and I came out to Portland, Oregon, because at the time I, I was interested in being an environmental lawyer, I'm an environmental law lawyer, and I, I found out that, first of all, the 
Lewis and Clark here in Portland, the environmental law was focused mostly on anadromous fish, and I wasn't really that interested in them. I was more interested in oh, public power and who decided what kind of energy sources we were using. I mean, this was, you know, I attended the rallies in, on, the, on the mall in, in Washington, D.C., uh, to end nuclear power and was uh, worked here in Oregon to, to shut down the Trojan plant in uh, in Rainier, Washington, just across the river. And and um, but uh, it, it just it, it also it required a really strong science background, which I don't have. And so I but I found out this is you know 1979 how recent it was that the United States Supreme Court had given rights to people in state court charged with crimes, including the right to counsel. And I I thought that wasn't likely to get reversed ever. And, and I got interested in criminal defense law and get involved really in, uh, I mean, I started practicing in 1983 and I didn't really get involved in uh, cannabis law reform and, and, and the practice of cannabis law, which at the time was all criminal defense. Right. Uh, until the mid-90s. Speaking of cannabis law, you've been heavily involved uh, in Oregon State's legal cannabis structure. How would you characterize the pot laws in Oregon? Would you classify the current status of cannabis law there as legalization? And and, and if you could, what, what would you change about the, the, the model there? That's a good question, Vivian. I think that, um, well, you know, on the one hand, uh, uh, well, for me, I have to say that the, the driving impetus for cannabis law reform has been to not have to stand next to anybody ever again at sentencing uh, for a plant. And um, uh, that's it's a, it's a, a personal self-interest. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be a part of it. And that's how that's what motivated me to try and change uh, change the laws here. And initially following legalization, um, I, you know, that was that was successful. I think, I, you know, that arrests and prosecutions are down. But now, now, seven years after we passed the law, or seven years after it went into effect, um, Oregon is spending more money arresting and prosecuting people for growing marijuana than we did when it was illegal to grow at all. And 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 they're doing this be, for a couple of reasons. One reason is. The, the way that the um, and I didn't realize it frankly that you know just what a profound effect it had that even though we'd uh, abolished uh, state prohibition that federal prohibition loomed large and and under the the coal memo um, the uh, the you know relatively benign exporting of uh, cannabis out of the state from southern Oregon particularly. Although not, although not only, um, was uh, something that uh, the state made a priority to, to try to curtail, or at least uh, expended great resources and is expending, like I said, more money than before when it was illegal to grow at all. Mm. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, uh, it, 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 we have that anomaly where there, there's, there's, you know, I'm still a criminal defense lawyer. I'm still representing people who are arrested and prosecuted for growing and, and other um, things having to do with, you know, the unlicensed distribution of cannabis. On the other hand, 
You know, I was talking to somebody earlier today. I think the um, fact that I can uh, I can buy an edible and know how much THC is in it is a good thing. I think, and or topical. Uh, the last time I was at Hemp Fest, I had uh, um, I had a uh, bite from a, a cookie <laughs> that someone gave me, and I slept for 15 hours. So you know, <laughs> yes. It's, it's, we all have stories like that, I know, and and well, right. um, so, I mean, those are good. There are good aspects. I appreciate, of even though I only grow one plant, you know, I appreciate the ability to grow plants, and I can't believe that, you know, almost ten years after after you guys passed the law, that you still can't grow it all legally there in Washington. So, yeah, that's a bit I don't know. Um, it's a mixed bag, to be sure, and um, and and there are uh, there are lots of you know, I mean, I like when I drive to Southern Oregon on a case and I'm, I'm heading down there, I like seeing all the, you know, billboards for, for you know, stores selling weed. So, I mean, it's, on the other hand, I was really hopeful that in the same way that you or I could go, you know, Vivian out to Walla Walla or, or to Yamhill County here in Oregon and go on a wine tour, tasting tour and go to farms and, have different, you know, taste different wines that we'd be able to go to weed farms and taste different strains that different growers have been, right? you know, have different genetics and everything. And we can't do that. So there's, it's a, it's, a, it's really a mixed bag. There's, um, which is one thing why I am, you know, I'm, I, I haven't spoken with you about this, but I sure am hopeful that we're going to get back to having Hempfest again, because even though we've legalized, here in the Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of work left to do, both in Oregon and Washington. Yeah, that is so true. I'm you, nobody's more hopeful than I am, Lee. Um, sp speaking of, of farms, legacy farmers in Northern California are being pretty much wiped out by this legalization model. Uh, some of them prefer to call it commoditization. Uh, they're unable to meet the high regulatory and tax requirements, and unable to compete with with, uh, say, corporately funded big agro-type cannabis grows. Oregon's also home to old-school legacy cultivation communities. Some have been there since the late 60s. How are they faring under this current model? Are they also having problems? I, you know, I would say it's a, it's a mixed bag. And I also have to say, you know, again, the first time I heard the phrase legacy farmers or legacy market, you know, this, as opposed to black market or underground market, was when <laughs> right. I was at Hempfest and I heard a speaker say that, and it's a, it's a wonderful and accurate phrase. You know, um, in in Oregon, it goes back. Um, you know, there are these communities in Southern Oregon that were intentionally formed in the late. 1960s by people who found San Francisco in the late 1960s too confining. So it's. Um, three generations of people who've been growing. And um, one of the great joys of my practice is being able to license not just legacy growers, but legacy extractors and, and you know, processors and legacy wholesalers and, and retail distributors, you know, and take people out from the legacy market into the into the legal mar market, and yeah, there are these barriers to entry. But um, my pre and I have certainly represented or worked with you know publicly traded corporations. But but for the most part, the people that I work with are mom and pop operations. Mm -hmm. For the most part, 
it's the 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 ones that I really enjoy working with are the people you know who are who are doing it before it was legal to do so and now don't have to look over their shoulder you know when they're doing it I mean that's that was the point right mm-hmm. and um, but I I, I I understand about what you're talking about in California and I hear what you're saying about you know again it's, I think it's a mixed bag in in, in mm-hmm. Southern Oregon as best I can tell from you know, living in, in Northern Oregon and, and uh, just having to uh, travel down there for work once in a while. In fact, during the pandemic, I've been appearing in court, you know, down there by by video or by phone for the most part. So I, I traveled down there, um, I want to say, a month ago for the first time in two years. So actually, and I went to court in December for the first time in two years. I physically went to court. So been a it's been a tough ride the 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 uh the pandemic it's been really isolating i've had some personal tragedies and uh it's been hard man is that the truth man i i feel you on that i'm looking forward to the end of it and uh um so yeah but it's definitely a mixed bag there are people who are it's you know just doing what they were doing and flying under the radar there's people who are you know doing what they're doing and getting caught and facing um, reduced consequences that, than, than there were before, less severe consequences than there were before. Um, and and to be to be honest and fair about it, I mean, the other reason there's piles of money pouring in down there for enforcement is that there's a lot of violence associated with a lot of the large-scale so-called cartel grows and... and um, you know, there really is there really is violence there really are farm workers that aren't being treated well there really are farmers who you know don't give a shit about the environment and are you know using pesticides and you know stealing water during the worst droughts in, in thousands of years and stuff so it's you right. know it's not not all just and, you know legacy farmers growing 50 plants you know yeah and even a couple people who've disappeared under weird circumstances uh, because of the clandestine nature of some of the grows that are still going on down there uh, in the, in the, the uh, cannabis bread basket. I am, I'm speaking to uh, attorney Lee Berger. We're going to take a quick break, come back with our second segment. So stick with us. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present hang loose. We're coming right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with Lee Berger. Lee, uh, you represent a lot of cannabis dispensaries or cultivation licensees who are threatened with revocation by the Oregon Health Authority. What kinds of alleged violations result in the threat of having one's license revoked? What what kind of things are you defending against? Well, you know, Viv, we're down to actually only one licensed medical marijuana dispensary. And when there were 140 something, and the rest are all retail stores. Under right. the Oregon uh, Liquor, and, and now it's the Liquor and Cannabis Commission. Instead. And the kinds of things that the OLCC 
threatens to cancel license for really principally our diversion ones. I had a I represented a, a store in on the south coast that shipped actually it shipped C B D products, but it shipped them, you know, to California. And um, you know, they lost their license. Uh, there was a store here in Portland where there was just ongoing kind of mismanagement and included employee thefts and not paying attention to stuff. It's a highly regulated industry and it's and I, I'd say the most difficult to uh, run from a regulatory standpoint are the stores actually they're, they're the ones that have the most rules and the uh, um, and and the ones where the rules are changing the most frequently. The good news in Oregon is that the Oregon uh, Liquor and Cannabis Commission has been responsive to industry concerns about um, being overzealous, and you know that we're starting to see things like uh, fix-it tickets. You know where they send out a notice and say it says you're in violation for doing this. Correct it in two weeks, or we're going to proceed to you know more formal proceedings, kind of stuff. And it's uh, and I think uh, I think nationally, although I hear in Washington, our friend Mitzi, that there's still issues with the LCB up there about you know the antagonism between the regulatory right. agency and the folks. But in in, in Oregon, it's a uh, it's you know there's, there's, there, I think they're pretty responsive to 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 industry. They certainly try to. They they hold. Uh, uh, rules advisory committees that include not just lawyers but lots of industry participants and and it's you know it's a big it, it took them a while to realize that we're not criminals you know that we want to be regular business people too and uh, and once they once they understood that they they listened I mean it's still you know, for example, you can walk into a liquor store and buy a bottle of uh, of something that would kill a child, and walk out with it in a in a paper bag, and you still need you know childproof packaging and for cannabis uh, buds, yeah, for for you know for um, ex- extracts here. So it's um, you know it's we're we're not there yet, but we're. But we're getting closer to, um, you know, to that kind of a, a regulatory thing. They've been really responsive about concerns about uh, for consumers, particularly about the vaping issue came up. I was involved with the rulemaking on that. And it's a tough balance because, you know, other industries don't, rec- I mean, you know, nobody requires Coca-Cola to disclose what's in its recipe, you know, but they want to know every ingredient of what you're adding back into the extracts. And it's, uh, you know, creates some challenges for trade secrets and other stuff. I mean, one of the things that I didn't know anything about before I transitioned, which, you know, legalized cannabis was uh, the significance of intellectual property and the importance that that and local control i didn't know anything about about municipal law and how in criminal law if you in oregon if if uh, there's a state law it trumps the local law and 
civil law, it has to expressly say that only the legislature or the people acting as the legislature can decide this or else it does not trump, uh, you know, just the idea that I, I had no idea that the you know counties and cities would opt out, for example, or that that would even be an option. It certainly isn't anything we wrote into in the initiative. So one of the disappointments is that the leg- was that the legislature um, announced that the people didn't know what they were doing and they rewrote the initiative, you know, so in many ways. But uh, again, one of the big surprises was how um, powerful the local uh, uh, cities and counties are. And that's true, too, on the on the um, on the enforcement end of it. You know, it's really a lot of the funding for enforcement in southern Oregon has to do with the fact that the counties aren't getting any more of the timber money from the feds. And the locals regularly vote down public safety tax levies for to fund the police. So they need the funding for the police just really to have police funding, you know. Right. Lee, um, in, in my state of Washington, when our legalization initiative I-502 was passed, medical cannabis, cannabis patients lost a lot of ground. Eventually, they had their plant and possession counts greatly reduced. Uh, with dispensaries that were really like community support centers replaced by these recreational pot stores that feel more like an all-business 7-Eleven of weed rather than compassion-based dispensaries. Has that kind of trade-off? I think you kind of mentioned that that's happened since you only have one left in Oregon. Is there there anything that we can do to address the needs of the patients that have really, seems like they've been kicked under the cannabis in this model? Yeah, no, that's um, that's true. It's um, uh, there. Uh, the good news is that there are uh, activists that are working on that. Principally, um, uh, uh, well, not not by himself, but one person is uh, is Anthony Taylor, is the chair of the Oregon uh, Cannabis Commission, and he's also a co-founder and lobbyist for uh, Compassionate Oregon, which is kind of the voice for patients and the. The legislature. There are people doing things, you know, legislatively on behalf of patients. Uh, in my practice, what I've been working on a little bit is, oh, the nursing board posted online that if you were a nurse, you couldn't advise a patient about the therapeutic value of medical cannabis because you weren't protected by the Oregon Medical Marijuana Act, and that's a complete misreading of the act and what the law is. I mean, the law is, is clear that, you know, uh, patients have a right to hear that information and medical professionals have a right to speak it under the First Amendment. So I wrote the um, attorney general responsible for the Oregon State uh, Nursing Board and told her that and they took it down. And I'm working with, uh, there's a nurse in Medford named uh, Jana Champagne, who's working, I know, on an issue. There was a bill that uh, passed in California, and I, actually, the guys, the guy who promoted it, I, th- I think his son was in hospice actually in Seattle when he was unable to get his son uh, cannabis, you know, in, and uh, to have cannabis in hospice care was a bill that uh, passed through the legislative assembly in California, and then. Newsom didn't sign it, and then it passed through again, and he did. And I know Jana and others are working on that bill up here. 
know that Anthony and a group of people, including Dr. Rachel Knox, are working on a comprehensive medical bill for the for next session, and uh, I agreed to you know help with drafting it once they figure out the ideas. I don't have the patience anymore to sit through those lengthy meetings. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, there's there's a lot of unique issues that medical cannabis patients have that aren't addressed by the recreational stores that really are kind of just their whole goal is high THC rather than specific strains that that you know cancer or uh, epilepsy patients might need or something like that so um yeah you know, they, a, they, well you know, we don't have the, actually yeah. it's not as restrictive as that really i know that in washington state it's a rule that you can't i mean i i can and have gone to an oregon store and said you know i have a friend visiting she's looking for a vape pen she prefers um sativas, but she has, um, you know, a, a condition in her lungs that that creates a problem. Do you have something that won't irritate that? And I can right. ask that kind of question. And, and you can't, yeah, you can't even mention medical in Washington State here. Uh, so it's a lot different. Uh, we do got to go to the next break. Uh, I'm still talking to Leland Berger, attorney out of Portland, Oregon, and we're going to come back with our final questions. So stick with us. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Back to the final segment with Lee Berger. Lee, you've inspired a lot of other folks in a recent write-up about you in the Oregon State Bar Bulletin uh, under Profiles in the Law. Justin uh, Roses described you as, quote, a fierce advocate who manages to say everything in an understated tone that makes DAs, judges, and jurors follow his lead toward mercy and justice. And he also said, Lee Berger was the first lawyer ever to convince me that I could be totally myself and still be an amazing lawyer. What lawyers inspired you? Uh, who have you drawn instruction and inspiration from that has impacted the way that you approach your practice? You know, one lawyer who's, who's been inspiring over the years is our friend Jeff Steinborn. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's just a terrific uh, model of, uh, you know, the importance of, uh, of maintaining your, your self yourself you know being being not being afraid to be yourself and at the same time you know recognizing that is um i mean the hard part about practicing law vivian i think is finding the balance between being intellectually detached and being emotionally involved if you're too emotionally involved you're not effective and if you're too intellectually detached then what's the point i mean you might as well be Right. So I, I would I would say if I had to, at, you know, mention a lawyer who was uh, strikes the balance to me, it would be Jeff yeah. Jeff Steinborn. Yeah. And when he's been going through some personal issues, and he's just a great guy. You know, I want to say that Jeff Steinborn was Hempfest's absolute first attorney, the first person that stepped forward to to represent us. 
Um, in, in that same article, Portland, Portland lawyer Andrew DeWeese is quoted as saying that you, quote, like the counterculture and that you are a bit of an anti-authoritarian. Uh, we have uh, a couple minutes left. Um, are, do you like the counterculture? And if so, why? Well, <laughs> I mean, you, we, we, you and I are counterculture. Is that accurate? <laughs> well, there's that. There's no denying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go, my brother. I don't know. I just, I just, uh, I know it's only rock and roll, but I like it. <laughs> what can you say about that? There's you know, no. I, I, I like to wear. I don't like wearing lawyer clothes. You know, I like wearing, um, wearing tie dye and just other pretty thing. You know, eye candy for other folks. You know, I just enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I haven't cut my hair in a long time and I just I don't know I'm just comfortable and that's part of the being yourself the part that, that's that's that yeah. being yourself stuff right yeah that's your being yourself stuff it's 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 um yeah again it's uh, you know I have uh, particularly early on in my career uh, uh, Irv Steinbach was a judge who told me that he says you know you just wear your heart on your sleeve and it's you know impeding your ability to you know, we all see it, but it's impeding your ability to be persuasive. So right. it's, it's, you really have to really, it's like, it's like, it's like our brother, seconds, Doug Hyatt, you know, I love Doug. You know, I just going to mention Doug because. But you can't, you can't go around, fuck you to everybody about everything, <laughs> even, even though you're righteously pissed about it, even though right. you're right. And you're right to be pissed about it. It just becomes less effective just to, you know. Well, you know, I have to say that, that Douglas time. Hyatt has dropped a few F-bombs on this very show. <laughs> <laughs> Portland activist and attorney Lee R. Berger, as always, my friend, it's been a sincere pleasure talking with you. Thanks for being on the show, man. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Vivian. Best of luck to you. With my pleasure. That concludes this installment of Hampersand and Cannabis Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. The Hampersand intro music is Seven Mile Beach from Joanne Rand, and the outro music is Take Back a Plant by Stickerbush. See you next week, folks. Stay strong. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.